Welcome to the In The Clouds podcast. In The Clouds is a marketing cloud podcast powered by Lev, the most influential marketing-focused Salesforce consultancy in the world. Lev is customer experience obsessed, and podcast hosts Bobby Tishy and Cole Fisher have partnered with some of the world's most well-known brands to help them master meaningful one-on-one connections with their customers. In this podcast, they'll combine strategy and deep technical expertise to share best practices, how-tos, and real-life use cases and solutions for the world's top brands using Salesforce products today. Welcome to In The Cloud's podcast. This is Bobby and Cole, and we're continuing our innovation series on all things marketing cloud and things that obviously affect marketing cloud as well. And we're really excited today because we've got our coworker here at Love, Danny, to talk through third-party cookies, IDFA, CCPA, and really how folks um, can make sure that they're not only honoring the changes in laws, but what they can do with some of their other data and pieces there. So, Danny, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We're really happy to have you. If you would mind just doing a brief introduction of yourself, and then we'll dive in from there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my name is Danny. I've been a lev for about a little over five months now. And my previous sort of uh, job history, um, well, I guess my uh, first foray into the digital marketing world began at a demand side platform called Simplify, where I kind of built a foundational base uh, for programmatic advertising, then moved on to the media agency world, went into the ad agency world to do some digital strategy there. Now I'm at lev where I help with programmatic strategy, uh, audience segmentation with the data management platforms and, you know, uh, creating sort of, um, business impactful data analysis. Very cool. Uh, and so this is, it's pretty exciting too, because this uh, for, for Lev has not, um, you know, previously been, uh, a central, you know, kind of like a core focus of Lev or most, you know, consultancies in our space. Uh, but it's something that's as fast as it's changing and as much as going on right now with like IDFA and CCPA and regulation changes and things like that. It's really kind of a fascinating field to be in right now. And so I've only kind of dabbled, you know, previously in the ad agency space. Um, but with your, you know, your extensive history, kind of, you know, tell us a little bit more, just kind of at a high level of, you know, what is an IDFA? Um, what are like, you know, first versus third party cookies and, and kind of give us the background of, of this field before we you really dive into this. Is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's dive into the third party cookie talk first. I'll move on to IDFA and then talk a little bit about the uh, California Consumer Privacy Act or the CCPA. So third party cookies are uh, cookies that are um, play, well, first start off with what a cookie is. It's just a small piece of JavaScript code that um, wasn't really, you know, really originally intended to be used for targeted advertising, but it's a really efficient way to sort of transfer uh, data across the internet. So they've gotten really, really popular over the past 10 years and are used for really granular uh, targeting in the programmatic world um, for use uh, for use with the demand side platform. So uh, that being said, third party cookies differ from first party cookies, obviously, because first party cookies are uh, pixels that are in that were installed by the publisher on the website and third party cookies are uh, the ones that kind of follow you everywhere and weren't sort of uh, installed by the website that you are visiting now. Uh, and so that's sort of the difference between first party cookies, third party cookies. Uh, the big news is that third party cookies are going away 
because Chrome, uh, Google Chrome, the world's most popular browser, is essentially uh, preventing the, the use of uh, third-party cookies, and Google Chrome controls about 55% of the desktop uh, you know, market share. Uh, Safari and Firefox had already sort of banned third-party cookies, so um, you know, Google Chrome was kind of the nail in the coffin for, for third-party cookies. Now, an IDFA is an ID for advertisers. Uh, this is something that Apple is going to allow users to opt out of previously. Um, you know, uh, we've been able to use an IDFA for uh, mobile attribution and cross-app tracking. Uh, this might no longer be the case because we are anticipating users are going to sort of opt out of getting tracked across uh, their app because they're becoming more privacy centric. Uh, and lastly, the CCPA is just a piece of legislation that is going to really kind of uh, give users back uh, the sort of power uh, over their own data so that it is not monetized and used in ways that they don't want it to be used. And so that's a kind of really high level overview of all the changes that are happening uh, sort of this year and bleeding into 2022 uh, as well. Really big sort of uh, shake up in the digital marketing world. I'd say it's probably the biggest sort of disruption in terms of targeted advertising that you know has really, that there's ever been. So there's gonna be a real pivot in uh, strategy and how we sort of go after uh, new users and prospect, uh, you know, new individuals for for our business. Yeah, for sure. This is a huge game changer. Um, and and so, I kind of want to get to the the point of like, what is it that really really brought this up? Because I mean, now you know, as as consumers, we're seeing this. You know, we're using cookies. You know, things pop up on sites and things like that that are obviously like being um, mandated or at least like is is a much recommended best practice for. A lot of these companies um, is all of this coming about. So you mentioned CCPA, the California Privacy Act. Um, prior to that, you know, preceding the the U.S. you know regulations were uh, like GDPR and the and the EU uh, regulation, and um, and so there's this kind of this this data and privacy shift that's going on globally speaking. And the Brazil's in progress now, and. Um, and I know other states are going to be passing this as well. So is all of this just kind of like riding the, the coattails of those changes and adapting to a world that's that mandates more privacy? Or uh, are, are there like other events or, or needs that are really driving behind this? Because this is a huge change that I think marketers have seen coming, but have been like super fearful of uh, for, for quite a long time, because it's been a while that they've been, you know, that, that we have marketers have have been able to kind of overstep the boundaries or take advantage of, you know, other companies, um, first and third party data and trade things off and really things that we knew didn't feel right to begin with, but we were able to take advantage of if we so chose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, targeted advertising is uh, a little creepy, uh, honestly, and uh, a little. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, and, and honestly, it, it can be uh, a really painful reminder for some people. Um, so, for example, if um, you know you were in market for um, a wedding, and then your wedding was for some tragic reason called off, you're still targeted with these wedding dress ads for the next, you know, several weeks, maybe months. Uh, reminding you of, you know, your failed relationship or, you know, our data is leaked onto the internet, um, uh, you know, which has happened several times, you know, Experian, obviously, uh, Blue Kai, Oracle, 
um, who, who Oracle owns, uh, leaked a bunch of data onto the internet, onto the open internet without any sort of, uh, you know, uh, passwords or anything like that. And so um, users are just becoming a lot more uh, aware and conscious and uh, of how their private or how their data is being used. And in the past, I don't think that the value exchange between um, uh, you know, these, uh, the, the walled gardens like Google and Facebook that take uh, that data and, and use it for advertising. I don't think the uh, value exchange was clear to the user and now they're becoming a lot more uh, conscious of it. So the CCPA definitely um, sort of models itself after the GDPR. A lot of the language is uh, a little similar in terms of how uh, we, you know, prevent monetization of uh, personally identifiable information. And there's also sort of copycats popping up around different um, state level uh, state level policymakers as well. I think Virginia uh, might be having a, a similar piece of legislation coming into effect. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, there, there's definitely a huge sort of uh, just general consciousness shift in terms of uh, how we view our personal data and how we want it to be used, and uh, it's becoming a lot more valuable. So, real quick, I. When CCPA rolled out, it was, I mean, it was hard to wrangle this as a, as a regulation and some of the, the data privacy changes uh, that were required of companies. And there's so many, and there's such a big change that it, I, I think it started in January, technically in January of 2020, but they basically kind of said like, hey, we're putting this out there, like start getting in line for it, but we're not actually going to start penalizing people. Like GDPR had, had huge, like massive penalties for anybody that was in violation. CCPA kind of came along and said, hey, we don't expect everybody to, to be able to change ship just right away. And so they gave it, they were like, well, you know, come June, we're going to start really, in, you know, enforcing compliance to this. But, you know, you've got time to get your ducks in a row. Is, this, is the same sort of effect in place here? Or is this like, hey, you're big time advertisers, we're not going to be as lenient on you because you're not, you know, small businesses and things like that, that need to get this together? Yeah, yeah. So, um, that's a great question. So like having the policy in place is one thing and then enforcing it is uh, another, right? And that's where I think it'll be a little more difficult. Uh, so for, so far, for example, I think the biggest fine that the GDPR uh, or that has res uh, resulted as a penalization from uh, violating the GDPR was uh, for Twitter. And I think it was under a million dollars. And so uh, this piece, these pieces of legislation are going to really impact these really really big sort of companies a lot more than it is smaller to medium-sized uh, businesses that have tons of data but you know maybe aren't on the radar of uh, you know uh, policymakers uh, because you know it, it there are thousands of businesses out there and you know trillions of data points right and so it is going to be uh, a little difficult I think to enforce just because of that sort of fragmentation uh, of different businesses. And um, I'm not sure if there is a huge desire or willingness to like uh, uh, penalize people uh, unless it is a sort of a severe violation of uh, of the of the standards set forth within the legislation. So yeah, it, it kind of just kind of just depends in terms of you know how bad the violation is, how big the company is, etc. Do you think this will be the a a start to more regulation? because I could see where people or consumers become smarter and smarter about data and who has access to it and all that kind of stuff. I could see the walls closing in even more. Curious about what you think about that. Well, uh, ideally there, you know, companies would innovate 
quicker and policy wouldn't you know uh necessarily be um a prerequisite to a more private world um so google and the trade desk and a live ramp and a couple of other identity solution providers are i think really getting ahead of the curve in terms of developing different types of solutions um before uh any sort of one federal policy passes or two state level policy like the ccpa uh, are, are enacted so they are definitely um in you know and it's not just those three companies either i think those are sort of the biggest players but there are a ton of identity solution providers i mean as of right now i think the list is between 70 to 80 companies that are trying to sort of get ahead of the curve and in, in terms of uh you know providing uh, targeting solutions for advertisers um, so, you know, in an ideal world, uh, the policy wouldn't be necessary, but uh, I do see it, you know, uh, I, I do see this sort of like modeling uh, of the GDPR CCPA occurring across the country eventually. I think just about everybody we talk to, identity resolution is a big focus for them because obviously having data and being able to stitch all that data together in an ethical and moral way is, is something I think a lot of companies want to be able to do. But I'm sure that for folks who are listening to this, or even if they already knew about some of the third-party cookie elements going away, a lot of marketers are probably thinking right now, crap, I don't know how I'm going to do my lookalike audiences, or um, how do I replace some of my programmatic advertising is leveraging some of this information or some of this data that ultimately is going to go away. So my question is, what can marketers do to help um, continue their marketing efforts while making sure they're being compliant with these new policies? For sure. Uh, well, there are a few outside of identity solution providers. I will talk about, I think, uh, two areas that are going to see a lot of sort of um, attention uh, in the near future. And the first of which is really strengthening, cleaning, and understanding our first party data, uh, where it is, where it's, uh, how it's housed, what type of data we have access to, et cetera. Uh, first, the first party data is gonna be a gold mine in the future since third party, uh, since the since third party cookie deprecation will um, sort of, uh, you know, the recency of that data will decline over time as, you know, no new data is uh, added into those black box audience segments. So they'll kind of eventually go away. So first party data is going to be huge. So implementing, you know, newsletters to capture data on the website or loyalty programs or, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, any way that we can sort of gather first party data to understand what our customers look like, what they want, and how to better target them uh, is going to be really, really important in the future. And then the second thing I want to mention is probably contextual targeting. And we'll see, we'll likely see a, a big sort of resurgence um, within the next year. Contextual targeting has always been, I think, um, a part of every programmatic strategy, but it will see, I think, a lot more uh, attention in the future, sort of contextually targeting users based on the content that they're reading on uh, whatever website that they're on or whatever the publisher, uh, whatever content they're consuming uh, on whatever publisher. So uh, those are two really big areas. And then the third is just, I think they, uh, businesses really need to leverage the right partnerships with the right type of organizations to come up with better identity solutions for their marketing strategy. Um, and, and that's how we're preparing right now. Uh, we stay ahead of the curve, I think, on you know every sort of technical uh, innovation that has so far occurred in the world. And the lab team is just really, really um, 
knowledgeable about almost all aspects of uh, third-party cookie deprecation, IEFA going away, how to better attribute um, you know, uh, revenue towards those campaigns as well, since that'll be a little more difficult in a world without third-party cookies. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that. Those three things, first-party data, contextual targeting, and identity uh, solutions slash you know, partnerships with specific organizations that can help drive those campaigns. One thing that you mentioned that I think a lot of folks are are realizing if they haven't already, which is, you know, first party data is, is a gold mine, right? That's the most valuable thing that a lot of these companies have because it allows, allows you to do so many different things based off of that first party data. Do you think that second party data will ultimately go away where some of these organizations are actually selling that first party data to others in an open marketplace? Well, uh, the thing is, um, legislation, some, some of these policy, uh, policy mandates within legislation like the CCPA will prevent the monetization of, uh, of data. And so it's still a little unclear what that might look like for second party data. Uh, that being said, I, I don't think the market for that will be particularly strong in the future because of the, the just the, the, the cost, the, the potential cost of, um, you know, um, misusing uh misusing that data yeah because i think it i mean it's it's not a situation we come up against quite a bit salesforce came out with a solution you know a couple of years back called data studio that allows you kind of creates this marketplace where i can put you know certain segments or, or elements of my first party data up for sale and it's not something you know cool I, I can't actually think of a scenario in the last three or four years since they launched it that any customer we work with actually uses it. So I think you're right, Danny, there's not, there's not a big call for it, so to speak. But I, I was curious if as we as we go down this road of third party data going away, a second party would be affected, but it sounds like it will be as part of CCPA. So yeah, awesome. It, I feel like that's one of those areas too that marketers knew was shady. And so even though it always got brought up and companies always like buying um, lists. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. But like it always got brought up. It was always like on the table, but it always got kind of quickly got shot down because everybody knew it just felt like it was too shady. And the, my, my, you know, my concern is like, is there non-monetary exchanges? Because, you know, Salesforce and other companies would get out of the way of those negotiations. Like if you want to sell it, you do your own thing. But, you know, this is not something that we're involved in. It's just a capability. And I, I think companies were like, you know, this, this sounds sketchy to me, but if there was a, hey, you're tra we're trading the same amounts or we're trading, you know, without money exchanging hands, like that's still sketchy, but like, it's not necessarily being bought. And so does that open the window? But like, it just, it feels like that's something that can and never did take off, you know, at least not legitimately. Yeah, yeah. And just to kind of add to that, um, even, you know, most data management platforms uh, have a sort of third party marketplace to purchase, you know, these uh, audience segments that are generally speaking black boxes, you know, we're not able to look inside the audience segment, right, and kind of see which data points are driving performance and stuff like that. So, you know, whenever we you know, purchase these black box audience segments from, you know, the, the oracles of the world or the other data providers, the axioms, etc. You know, it, it's just, um, it, it's going to be a lot more, I think, I think essentially what I'm trying to say is this is going to be a good thing for advertising in the long haul, this more privacy centric uh, world that we're going towards. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so one of the uh, implications of that will be that data management platforms no longer have access to a lot of those uh, third party uh, black box audience segments that were used for prospecting line items. Yeah, and I think too, uh, you know, we've seen those kind of studies where it shows like, you know, the general generational differences between how people trust advertising and how people trust their information being shared and things like that. And, you know, some generations are, are you know, older generations saying like, I don't, I don't want people having my information. I don't want to be called by strangers. I, you know, whereas younger generations saying like, hey, I'm going to see ads regardless. They might as well be targeted to my interests. So mm -hmm. I'm okay sharing information. And so I think there's just going to be uh, this, this feeling out um, you know, buffer of timeline where people are like, okay, how comfortable am I? Where do I want to control the, the levers? And what companies do I really implicitly just trust with my information because I want them to, you know, be able to service me at, at you know, at the greatest points. So it'll That's be interesting cool. to see how that sussed out. Yeah, I definitely sit on the fence of, you know, or not, I'm not sitting on the fence. I, I definitely prefer uh, more I think targeted ads. I mean, I'm a, I want more relevant content in my news feed or in my feeds and stuff like that. So, uh, I personally prefer it that way. I've purchased a ton of different products that were advertised to me on like Instagram and Facebook, and um, it's because they knew sort of what I was in the market for and the types of things that I was interested in. And I think it creates a better experience overall. Uh, and so, I don't think it's gonna you know go away uh, anytime soon. You know, we'll still be able to sort of target users based on certain. Uh, you know, certain in-market in -market attributes. But uh, that being said, uh, yeah, a lot of people don't like it and I could totally understand why. Awesome. Well, thanks a bunch, Danny. Cole, you had a great, completely unrelated. So I'll kick it over to you to kick this off. Yeah, so Danny, as, as exciting as, as this field is right now, and especially with all the changes, um, I want to pose a question to actually to both of you. But um, if you could work a dream job in any industry, regardless of barriers of entry, education, compensation, anything like that, if you could work in any industry and you can't say um, Lev, Salesforce, industry, MarTech, any, it's got to be outside of that. If you would work in any industry, what would it be? What would your job be? All right, Bobby has to go first. <laughs> oh, man. Hot seat, Bobby. I think professional golfer. Nice. Uh, I think because, like, I, I would say, like, I love the NBA, so I would go that route. But what I like about being a professional golfer is, like, uh, a lot of them will have, like, a camper and RV that they drive from tournament to tournament, which I just think would be a blast. Like, my wife and I and our three dogs just hop in the RV, go to wherever the tournament is this week. You get to spend the whole week there. So you get to see the country, you get to travel these different places um, and you get to be outside while you're working. And I use working the term working lightly because yeah. I, don't, I don't think he, many people would call that work. Um, you get to meet interesting people at the pro-am. Like, I just think that would be a really fun thing to do. Now, the, the only caveat to that is I wouldn't want to do it every week. So like, I'd want to be at the Tiger <laughs> I don't have to level work of professional week. golfers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, who wants to work every day? That's why I only work three hours a day. <laughs> uh, okay, stay tuned for my new book, The Three Hour Work Week. But uh, uh, <laughs> the uh, so that's like I would want to be like Tiger, where I can just pick and choose the uh, the tournaments I go play in. But um, I think that I think it'd be a ton of fun just to be able to be outside all the time, get to travel, but travel with your family. 
live the RV life. I think that'd be fun. That, I wonder if you would run into like remorse from the fact or, you know, some sort of like obstacle of the fact that, that you've taken something that was a, a fun recreational pastime and now you've turned it into an actual work, like career. Cause I don't think. Well, that's what I think anything like, is. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, like I think, it's... you know, people always talk about like the, um, well, if, you know, if I could do anything, I would do this. Well, at, at the end of the day, it still becomes work. Right. So yeah. I think, I do think you're right. I think it would be tough because then you've got to find some other outlet that's not that to like enjoy instead. So like, that's I good... love software consulting. So, I mean, I, maybe I would do software consulting on the side if I was a professional golfer. <laughs> <laughs> the first PGA player is like, you know, I just, I got this dream of just being you know, in the technology, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Danny, what about you? Oh man, that's a tough question. Um, I'm, you know, NBA star is a little too easy. So I'm going to say, uh, you know, I was listening to this Trader Joe's podcast once and there is um, an executive whose sole job is to kind of travel the world and taste different ingredients and decide like what's going to be in the store. And so that sounds really awesome. Just Holy so smokes. I totally regret my answer now. That's a great one. <laughs> Yeah. Well, was- so along those lines, we have a uh, we have some friends of ours who run like a bar manufacturer. Um, like they make like uh, like granola bars and things, and they have like food scientists on staff wow. that they like. They don't do that. Like that sounds like a much more fun job, Danny, than this food scientist. <laughs> but they like they can taste something and tell you every single ingredient that's in it, which I think is really cool too. No, that's amazing. Yeah, honestly, if it wasn't that, then I would uh, be a sort of like Anthony Bourdain type, you know, TV host where I eat food and and just, you know, talk <laughs> to people. Like, I, I feel like that's a field of knowledge I wish I had, or at least like, a, you know, some sort of experience that I, I wish I because I, I know the, the types where I've read reviews where it's like, oh, you know, such and such has a really oaky finish and, you know, notes, a symphony of hazelnuts. And I'm like, I taste it. I'm like, I don't, I don't it tastes like wine to me. Like, I think I just have like really uneducated taste buds where I'm like, huh, yeah, I, I'd be that rolling. Mm, mm. It has like a burger uh, finish to it. And they're like, yeah, it's a cheeseburger. <laughs> Might as well be- I, always, I always thought wine tasted like stomped on grapes myself. <laughs> I, mean, I just drink. Cole, what about you? So. <laughs> oh, PBR. Gosh, Cole, we, I think we just found our third co-host. Danny, we just became best friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome yeah um i think my gig i i would go with something in, in like the creative flair um side of things so if like experience and stuff that didn't matter i thought one of the coolest jobs that that you could have would be like the person that scores the um uh, like soundtrack to like a movie or a series because I, I feel like that is such an impact to where like when you watch a film like the way the music comes in or the way like the type of music and how it's presented can entirely change like the message or the the feeling of a moment in a movie. And so it can be either like whimsical and totally make an ironic statement about what's happening, or it can be like super somber or really intense or I don't know. And I love music. I have zero music capability. I'm, I took piano lessons once in in college and I think I blew the teacher away how <laughs> just, uh, tone deaf and awful I am at music but uh but it was I love that you took the, le- the leap from 
We took a piano lesson to, I want to score movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, PGA golfer was taken already because, you know, I wanted to spend my, my entire life getting last in every tournament. So, but you, you've taken that role. So I'm going to go, you know, take my uh, no talent clown act to, uh, to the musical industry. So what, what movie would you want to score? What like, or what movie and that score was like, so sticks out to you? The one I honestly, I think the one that that uh, stuck out to me, and I, I forget which movie because it was there's uh, what's the what's the movie with the um, um, uh, Pika boxers? It's, it's Brad Pitt. I think it's like either Snatch or Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. I forget. I get the two mixed up. I think it might be Snatch, but it's a, a part of the movie where like they're working with some like criminal underbosses and there's a, a fight that's going to be set up and you know, everything is going this way. And basically the gets it's do or die. This guy has to have this fighter take a dive. Well, he gets into a brawl with like a bare knuckle boxer, Brad Pitt, who um, just devastates the guy. And as soon as he hits the deck, it should be like a really scary moment. And, uh, you know, instead they play this like really kind of like almost upbeat whimsical, like harpsichord music. Um, I think the band was called The Stranglers. It's called 96 Tears, I think. And it's just like this really do, 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 like really upbeat. Just like, whoa, like this is weird. It's supposed to be this sort of like dark humor, but like, you know, around like a really serious incident. And so it's kind of like the game changer of the of the movie. And so I just remember seeing that and be like, that's really weird. I never would have chosen that, but I love the way it works. That's an awesome choice. I'm shocked that you didn't pick a Rocky movie. <laughs> no those are awesome i basically i just want to be kenny loggins for you know kenny loggins <laughs> in the 80s and 90s <laughs> do you think in top gun 2 the whole soundtrack is kenny loggins if it's not i'm walking out of theaters <laughs> <laughs> oh man wait what's your favorite movie cole oh that's a tough one i i feel like a simpleton if i say something like dumb and dumber um <laughs> <laughs> um it, it could go down as it would probably have to be a comedy but there's too many good ones to choose from but speaking of really good music i might go with boondock saints very good pick i like it I'm i've never seen boondock saints oh bobby you you disappoint me on almost every podcast in some point <laughs> <laughs> have you seen what's your favorite movie uh mine i'm a big tarantino fan so i really love inglorious uh i'm not i don't know if i'm allowed to say it other way. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you can say Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> okay, Inglorious Bastards are really lovely. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, anything Tarantino touches is generally a big fan of. <laughs> I don't think I've seen any Tarantino movie. I'm not sure you've seen any movie, Bobby. Well, uh, I am rewatching all of the Marvel movies. <laughs> I think this is the third time. In order. Uh, uh, not in order, no. Um, I just finished Captain America Winter Soldier, and then um, this morning I restarted Black Panther, and I think Black Panther might be my favorite movie. Very good. Yeah, I think it's the best Marvel origin movie for sure. It is so good. I mean, like the like talking about music, the soundtrack for that, like what Ryan Coogler did, and like uh, I just yeah, I think that movie is just unbelievable. Michael B. Jordan of friday night lights fame 
Yeah. I don't even know what Friday Night Lights is. The TV show, not the movie. He's coming out in a Tom Clancy movie. Oh, uh, without remorse. I can't wait. <laughs> that looks legit. Oh, man. Well, I guess we should probably end this podcast. We got How really long do you think we? <laughs> I know. I love when the completely unrelated is much longer and we're so much more excited about it than the actual topic on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sam. Yeah, I can talk about movies all, all day and I love music. So, Cole, like, you have a favorite band or? Oh, tons of them. We'll, we'll turn this into a whole next podcast. Okay. <laughs> Why don't we just have another podcast with Danny talking about our favorite music and movies? Oh my God. I love that. Sweet. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for jumping on, Danny. We really appreciate it. And uh, Cole, as always, um, it's not been a pleasure. It's been something. It's been a required part of the job. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> as always, you can get in touch with us at in the clouds at lovedigital.com. Uh, we're wrapping up our innovation series uh, with a, just a couple of more, um, and then we'll jump into a, a new multi-part episode that we're excited to feature as well. So talk to you guys soon. Thanks. <laughs>